we need to talk about investing. A Beginner Investor Podcast from Charles Stanley. Welcome back to We Need to Talk About Investing. I'm your host, Erica White. And on today's episode, I'm looking to get more clarity about something that has affected everybody in these last few months. And that is the rising cost of, well, pretty much everything, it seems like. So I know that inflation has been on the rise for a number of different reasons, but I want to talk to stock market guru and my friend Rob Morgan about more of those nitty gritty details. So I want to know about interest rates and what they're used for, learn about central banks and the Fed and why they're such a big deal, and when, if ever, all of this madness is going to cool down. Stay tuned for that. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for joining me here. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Erica. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on again. So a couple months ago, you and I had a podcast that was all about inflation, but I do think it's time to kind of revisit the topic because quite honestly, I'm feeling the pain of the crazy prices that I've been seeing around recently. And I don't really fully understand what exactly is happening from an economic standpoint. So all I know is that the cost of everything, it seems like that I'm buying is rising and it's at the fastest rate that it has been in decades. And it's pretty painful on my wallet. I'm not going to lie. Can you just tell us what is going on in a simple, easy, digestible way? Yeah, you've set me a a real challenge there because these things are never simple, but I'll try my best. So high inflation, not been a problem for years, really, until quite recently. We've had a lot of what we call deflationary effects going on in the economy to keep prices low. Things like low-cost manufacturing hubs in, in China, keeping the costs of goods down. And we've also had a couple of serious crises that have threatened to derail the whole economy. And it's been more about propping things up. So we had the global financial crisis in 2007, 2008, where we had a big sort of real estate uh, debt crisis in the US and it spread and nearly sank the whole financial system. And then we had obviously COVID, again, a severe kind of recession threatened at that point. And and each time, you know, demand fell. And it was more about sort of staving off recession and and central banks cut interest rates at that time. And we'll come on to those terms later on. But what actually happened during those times is more money was injected into the financial system. So, So new dollars, new euros, new pounds came into existence to flood the financial system in 2008, 2009 to stave off recession. That stayed in the financial system by and large. But with COVID, that money got released. Do you remember the stimulus checks in in America? And now we're paying for that now, right? Now we're paying for that. The chickens are are coming home to roost somewhat in in, in the sense that all that money that got printed and conjured into existence is now chasing goods and services that are kind of less readily available because we've got the whole supply bottleneck side of things as well. And we've got companies reshoring activities from places like China, making things more localized and uh, more resilient, which increases the costs for businesses. And we've also got adding to that Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is reduced the supply of natural resources, oil, gas, grains, metals. And those things are now feeding into, you know, an already tight supply demand situation. 
So that's yeah. that's the background to what's going on. On that vein, right, what I have been seeing and been reading is that, is that there are two main reasons recently. So there are expensive energy bills, and those are, that is one thing that's really honestly impacting my cost of living recently. So for gas and electricity, the bills that I've been getting for my rented tiny flat have been pretty crazy. And then of course there are fuel costs like gas that are just eye-watering to drive anywhere and crazy lineups that we've seen around the block just to fill up your tank with gas. And so those are elements that are like the baseline of our economy, right? And that means that it's more expensive to produce basically every single thing that we buy and then to transport those things and to get them onto our shelves or to our front doors, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's the cost of doing business. It's the cost of of transport. It's the cost of key raw materials into the into the system. And, and oil is the obvious one because it comes out of the ground and it goes into the the supply networks. But you know, the cost of that is it has a, such a direct impact on consumer spending because you know the cost of it and and that feeds into not just prices at the pumps but the prices of um, everything on the shelves because everything has to be transported. So. Yeah, that you can see how that that is a very, very key commodity. But it's not just oil, it's all sorts of other things as well. So, you know, if you look at the prices of, you know, copper or or industrial metals, mm. uh, almost everything is going up. And that's because we've got this, you know, supply issue. And we've also got a sort of demand that's, that's still pretty elevated. Uh, and that's kind of key to what happens going forward is whether you know, I think supply is probably going to remain pretty constrained because it's hard to to just start up a new well or a new mine. But in terms of demand, that might change, and and that's what people are starting to worry about. Actually, that that actually that high prices start to cause change in behaviour. People can serve more, they use less uh, fuel, they don't go for long trips in their cars, and that actually reduces demand, and that slows down the economy. But we'll have to see how that pans out. Totally. I do have to say, this is really fascinating for me because as I'm obviously on this learning journey and you are helping me so much with understanding the economy and investing in the way that it all works, it's really, it's changing the way that I'm thinking about things. And so on one hand, obviously, all of these things that are happening are like I'm paying double the price for gas and doing all these other things. But on the other hand, to be able to understand what's going on in an economic perspective and to be learning these things from you and how, how kind of the world is working is so fascinating for me. So this has been really, it's been really interesting to be able to learn this stuff with your help. So thank you. I found that myself, you know, I think in terms of sort of studying financial markets, when you start getting down to it, looking at these things does tell you so much about life and how the world works. Oh my God, yeah. So it's it's not just financial markets, it's kind of, you know, how everything works. (laughs) And you end up a wiser person, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the factors that play into inflation itself. So what elements specifically are at work there? Can you dive into those? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the um, actual makeup of the the kind of inflation rate, what inflation is telling you when you see a kind of the figure, which is you know seven eight percent at the moment, is that basically mm. quite a seven or eight percent higher than they were a year ago. So that's your rate of inflation. So we're talking now in in April twenty twenty two. So comparing this month to April twenty twenty one would give you you know the rate of inflation at the price of goods and services has risen since that point. So 
it is a snapshot in time. And that's why, you know, if you do see falling uh, prices or leveling off prices, the rate of inflation will stop going up. And what's in that measurement is all sorts of things. You know, it's it's all the different things we put in our shopping baskets and and it includes, you know, a combination of essentials and, and, and luxuries as well. But your own personal rate of inflation is going to be personal to you. So it's going to be what you spend money on. And if you don't have a car, then you don't need to put petrol in it. If you don't uh, go on holiday, you know, that's not part of your part of your personal inflation basket. So everyone's different. And, um, you know, it's just a kind of average, really. And obviously, the inflation rate is going to differ between which country you live in. So, you know, we have our own inflation rate in the UK, which is going to be different to the US. Uh, and going to be different to Europe, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the kind of the how it breaks down. Mm-hmm. And of course, seven or eight percent is what we're seeing at the moment is way, way, way ahead of where policymakers would like the inflation rate to be. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just I, I have a definition here from the uh, Bank of England that says that inflation is a measure of how much the prices of goods such as food or televisions and services such as haircuts or train tickets have gone up over time. So usually people measure inflation by comparing the cost of things today with how much they cost a year ago, which is pretty much exactly what you said. So the average increase in price is known as the inflation rate. So if inflation is at 3%, it means that prices are 3% higher on average than they were a year ago. For example, if a loaf of bread costs one pound a year ago, it's now going to cost one pound and three. Then the price has risen by 3%. Who, Rob, decides what inflation should be? Like, where does that number come from? So inflation is what it is, but central banks will try and target a level of inflation. And they generally try and keep a modest but positive level around the the two percent mark so what they're trying to do is promote economic stability Mm -hmm. and really try and um, provide the right environment for growth now it's a balancing act because on the one hand they don't want to have very high inflation because that is disruptive for business if you imagine a, a business trying to quote the price of something and then they find in a few months later that the price of the key inputs into that, such as wages or commodities or whatever, have gone up. They've then quoted an inappropriate price and they, they should have uh, set a higher price. I mean, if you think about a builder quoting for, a, I don't know, a new bathroom or something, and then the price mm-hmm. of the suite goes up, then they take a hit. So that's kind of the, the disadvantage of having a kind of high level inflation. But also you don't want the opposite. So deflation, which is falling prices because that causes economic stability of its own because debt will basically become a higher burden. If your wages are falling and the price of everything is falling, there's no incentive to go out in and, and spend. So the economy is ends up being kind of a uh, a bit of a mess. And also any any debt becomes a kind of higher burden at that point. So that's a really bad situation and a, something that central banks would do almost anything to to avoid. So right. What they decide to do is is set interest rates at a level that promotes a kind of modest inflation in the 2% area. And, and what are interest rates? Well, they're just basically the cost of borrowing that the banks have that then sets the cost of borrowing across the economy for both businesses and individuals. So the cost of debt, mortgages and loans is going to be reflected in that. And also, you know, how much you actually get on cash deposits as well. Right. So as we know, at the moment, interest rates are, are very low, but inflation is very high the situation now is that central banks so the bank of england or the mm-hmm. the fed the federal reserve in the us 
are playing catch up a little bit because the cat is out the bag in terms of inflation and they're very worried that numbers like seven eight percent need to be reined in yeah and are just like not sustainable for people trying to live well no exactly well what they really fear is that if you start getting that sort of inflation set in and then it feeds into wages yeah. that's what will will increase the spiral. So if everyone goes out and demands a 7 or 8% pay rise, and then prices go up by another order of, of that kind of figure, and it's just a vicious circle, and that's when they have to step in and say, okay, well, you know, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. So, so we've moved from a position where they were saying it was kind of transitory to saying, okay, well, it is, you know, it's a bit more embedded and we've got to put up interest rates. In the US, they're kind of saying, well, maybe 11 quarter point interest rates you know, taking us to two and a half percent, two point seven five percent. It's going to be a similar story in the in, in the UK and in Europe, but less, we think, because of the certainly in the problems in Europe. I mean, they can't put up interest rates quite as much. But yeah, so it's it's really a, a balancing act, and um, probably the best analogy is kind of a bicycle. You know, they need to be travelling slow enough not to crash, but also fast enough not to fall off. Totally, totally. So I think this is maybe a big ask and I am conscious of time. And also, I don't know that you even have enough time to explain this in full detail, but can you just quickly try to explain to me, somebody who is a novice in this entire world of finance and the economy, et cetera, just the concept generally of central banks and the Federal Reserve and why they are such a big deal? Yeah, I mean, they are trying to promote... um economic stability and what they do is is very important so as i said the cost of borrowing it's not just important for you know people and, and their mortgages important for every every single business the cost of borrowing money is what essentially dictates the kind of speed of the economy mm. so what they do is is really really important and for financial markets you know how far and how fast they put up interest rates is super important because if they over tighten, if they put up interest rates too far, too fast, mm-hmm. they could see sort of demand just sort of collapse away really, really quickly. Because if borrowing goes up and, and you know, if they, you know, caused perhaps problems in the in the housing market or something like that, because of the cost of, of mortgage debt and things like that, and for businesses in, in terms of the cost of borrowing for them, and things roll over, you know, that's that's going to be a really, really, really bad situation and perhaps even cause a recession. So that's what people are worried about. Totally. But also they need to, on the other hand, they need to fight the fight on, on inflation and rein that in because equally that's going to undermine confidence as well. So right. it was a really tough bind that they're in and they haven't had this kind of difficulty for decades. You know, we, we, we really are in that sort of quite unusual situation compared to the last sort of 20, 30 years, really, where we've had a kind of a, a situation where interest rates really have just fallen by and right. large. Right. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. So central banks or the Fed, they raise interest rates in order to fight inflation. And the goal then is to slow down the economy, right? Yeah, to stop it from overheating. Yeah. But yeah. the problem oh, is, so in, at the moment, we're not really overheating because a lot of the inflation is coming from things that they can't really do a lot about because it's higher commodity prices and, and supply right. chain 
disruption. So normally, in, if you're finding inflation is, is really high, it's because the economy is motoring along and they need to rein things in to say, and, and say, well, take away the punch bowl a little bit and say, okay, well, the cost of borrowing is a bit more now because everything's just expanding way too quick. Mm-hmm. In this situation, we have got growth and you know, the, the US um, economy in particular is doing pretty well. But the worry is that it's not actually at that high level of growth. And the inflation that you are seeing is actually more to do with things that, um, you know, even if you try and cool the economy, the inflation is still going to be there. You know, mm-hmm. things like the oil price. Right, those those are out of our control. They're out of control because what you've got is a supply problem rather than a too much demand from an overheating situation. So how that plays out is what's on investors' minds because, you know, we can go on to this in in terms of how equity market or share markets and, and, and bond markets react to those sorts of things. But yeah, this is what investors are concentrating on right now. Do you concerned about a recession? I don't know how to put that. I don't know how to put that. Lightly. Is that something that based on yeah, all I mean, of this information, seeing all the news, is that something that you are looking at? And paying yeah, I mean, to? I think we have to acknowledge that it is a possibility because the tightrope walk that's being being walked by central banks is pretty narrow here. Totally. Um, so you know there is a there is a good chance but you know there's also a chance that they do get it right and that they tighten by about the right amount demand comes down naturally because uh, high prices are a cure for high prices people stop doing stuff things slow down naturally of their own accord and people aren't going to buy things at any price you know there, there there will be a limit to inflation people won't buy a a phone at any price or a car at any price. Mm-hmm. So naturally, the inflation numbers will start to fall away. So you'll you'll then move in. Will then move into a position where central banks have got a bit more wiggle room. So when the headline inflation is is sort of seven eight percent, then you know they've really got their backs to the wall. But when it starts to roll over and come down, we've already seen this a little bit with the oil price. It has kind of stabilised, and you know as long as it doesn't keep rising, then they're going to buy themselves a bit more time and a bit more wiggle room to stop putting rates up. And, you know, what, what markets uh, are saying is that the rates get to sort of the two and a half percent sort of area. And that historically, that's not a, you know, a hugely problematic place to be for, for, for markets. It's certainly a lot higher than what we're used to. And it's not necessarily good news for bonds, which are the the financial IOUs that pay a, a set amount of income because they tend to look bad in a, in a more inflationary environment. And for shares, it's a bit more of a mixed picture. So companies can increase prices, but you know to what extent they can do that is down to the level of pricing power that they have, um, which is the ability to increase their prices over time without indu- uh, reducing demand. And whether they're kind of price makers or price takers, you know, whether it depends a lot in terms of their workforce. Well, you know, what, what are their labour costs? What are their uh, inputs in terms of raw, raw materials? So there's lots of moving parts, and every company and every sector is going to have differences so it's a real complex uh, picture actually but one thing's for sure things have got a lot harder I think you know this year totally final question for you here Rob before I let you go what do you recommend that investors do to weather this storm like how do we protect ourselves from inflation yeah I think that's um 
it has taken a lot of investors by surprise in terms of you've had a, a situation where inflation has been very, very low. Traditional 60-40 portfolio has worked really, really well. So 60% equities or shares and 40% in, in bonds, which pay a, a kind of fixed income and have a kind of stabilizing influence. Now, we've seen that kind of flip around a bit, and that's been a, a more difficult place to be. And people have been more attracted to to areas where there's some more inflation protection than that kind of portfolio. So things like real assets, so infrastructure and real estate have been some some interesting places, as well as more direct hedges in terms of you know mining and energy companies as well, because they are able to benefit from, from higher raw material prices directly. So there are a few things you can move into to, to help diversify the portfolio and add a bit more inflation protection in there. But what I would say is don't flip totally into that and keep to your sort of strategy generally. It's generally best to just keep a diverse portfolio and, and have a balance of things because there will come a time when there's a good opportunity to get into bonds and get into to, to growth stocks that have been beaten up in the recent environment. So, yeah, I think it's important to include uh, both elements there. Yeah, we, we don't know exactly when that will be, but... Um, you know, there will be opportunities, I think, to, to top up on those those areas as well as we right. move and through the year. Dollar cost averaging, right? So having a set amount that you that you invest month after month after month, regardless of what's going on in the world, that's a concept that has been hammered home to me time and time again. And this is, in theory, a great time to practice that, right? Just kind of continue on your course. Yeah, absolutely. That is going to be absolutely key. I mean, you don't need to worry too much about these things if you mm-hmm. if your goal is sort of 20 30 40 years into the future because you know this will look like a blip if it, if it's, once it's you once you zoom out yeah absolutely once you well, zoom out it's not such a big deal and and, and all these things are completely down to kind of the context and, and, and your time horizon if obviously your time horizon is a lot shorter then you need to be a lot more worried which is why we always mm-hmm. say for the for the long term and if you are looking at sort of reducing volatility and things like that that's why you need to be very diversely uh, invested across lots and lots of different things because yeah if volatility is really your enemy and you're you're shorter term and you're thinking then that's all the more important but um yeah for longer longer term investors i think um it doesn't matter too much because like you say you've got the opportunity to to add to your investments as well and ride out the ups and downs Rob, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for walking me through all these things and taking the time out of your day to explain them all to me. Um, this has just been, yeah, I'm like my mind is kind of blown at all the things that I'm learning. So thank you so much. Yeah, no problem at all. Pleasure. We'll see you soon. We need to talk about investing. Thanks so much for tuning in to yet another episode of We Need to Talk About Investing. If you liked what you heard today or if you learned anything, please do go ahead and like, share, comment, subscribe, engage with us in any way that you see fit, and we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. A beginner investor podcast from Charles Stanley. The value of investments can fall as well as rise. Investors may get back less than invested. Past performance is not a reliable guide to the future.